Warning, the following podcast is a shit show, and the individuals you are about to meet are idiots. Their opinions, anecdotes, and advice contain zero nutritional value. This is the critical human condition and all of its strangeness. This is life, according to an idiot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. Wait, 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 wait. Cue German music right now. Okay, I'm right now I'm going to add in some, what are German instruments? A- accordion. Yeah, the accordion. You hear that? Are we in Berlin right now? Guten Abend. Ich heiße Kaylee. Er- what? Heiße <laughs> Jeremy. No, none of this was discussed before we turned the mics on, so. Wir sind according to an idiot. Oh, I, I, I think I know that one. Guess who's German now? Me, bitch. All right, repeat after me, Jeremy. Ich heiser. Ich heiser. You're Jeremy, so say Jeremy. Ich heiser, Jeremy. Yeah. yeah. Ich heiser, Kaylee. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Wie geht's? What'd you call me? <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Jeremy? I'm doing actually very good because my birthday was yesterday. Ooh, ooh. I mean, that doesn't mean anything because who knows when this episode will be up, but just know that at some point my birthday was yesterday. How was your birthday, Jeremy? It was terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no it's it fine. It was good. I don't know. I texted you. Did you appreciate my text? I did appreciate the text. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If you, Jeremy, if you were a billionaire uh-huh. or a multiple millionaire, like approaching billions, at least a hundred million. Ugh, okay. Would, I, I'm already anxious. Yeah. If you had that much money, would you give the money to your friends? Like, like obviously you'd give it to your family, right? Right. But like your loyal best friends, would you say, hey, I see, I see you're struggling there, buddy. Here's money. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, totally. I'm not going to give you any money. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, I need you to make it big so you can give me money. <laughs> Is this a scenario where I'm winning the lottery? This is a scenario where you become extremely successful for what you do, yeah. which is nothing, but you get a lot of money for it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, you can dole out this money any way you want. You know? you, you're know, you set for life, essentially. You don't have to do anything else. I have this vision of me immediately forgetting where I came from. <laughs> <laughs> like you walk like into a restaurant, and it's like, it smells too poor for me. <laughs> it's like, what is this? Where's, where are the, where's the tuxedos, guys? Right. I'm just going to always wear a tuxedo. I'm going to always drive around in a limo. But I'm going to be driving my own limo. (laughs) And then, like, I'm going to pull up because I don't want to pay a butler to drive a chauffeur. Right. Excuse me. So I'm going to drive to an event. And then I'm going to crawl through that, like, divider between the cabin and the... But when I get out, I'm still wearing the chauffeur cap. It's a look now. He's so humble. He, He doesn't want his chauffeur to feel insecure. So he wears the same outfit as him. And he also wears the same face as him. Because they they saw me. I don't have tinted windows on my limousine. You can see right Uh, through it. Yes, you can see see you. You can see me. Going through the divider. Approaching in the limo. Then you can see my legs kicking as I crawl into the back cabin. You flick out that last booger. I'm assuming this is at a gala. Oh, yeah. Okay. You you go to nothing less. I'm going to celebrate my birthday every day at a gala. (laughs) Surrounded by family and loved one constantly. That sounds exhausting. By a family and a loved one. I love one. I, I am your loved one. I aspire to be. Yeah. I'm going to knock the current loved one out of their position and worm my way in so then I can get your money. Mm-mm. Not going to happen because guess what? I put it in a trust. Uh. You know who that trust is for? My chauffeur. <laughs> <laughs> so when I die. It goes to you. It goes to me. And then your chauffeur's trust says who? It goes to his girlfriend in Canada. Ah. Uh. Who is actually him in a wig. 
So I fake my death multiple times, and then all of a sudden I'm some sort of uh, widow in Canada. Right. I'm just living it up in Vancouver. Or, you know, you could have your girlfriend in Germany. Oh, boy, she's going to bring in some German. If I had a girlfriend in Germany, what do you think she would say? Guten Morgen. Yeah, I have a really hot girlfriend in Germany yeah. and one in Canada, and I'm also a chauffeur, and I'm also a millionaire. I'm just The thing is, I'm exhausted just from all the lives I've been living. <laughs> so what, what's the first thing you'd buy as Rich Jeremy? Um, that's tough, because i got to pay my chauffeur and my maid. Well, the fir- that's the first thing you do? So you, oh, you, you got to make sure that your, your staff is getting paid. And my staff is just different versions of me ah. in different outfits. <laughs> I like to run around. No one's watching me. Like, there's no cover I'm trying to hold up. Right. I'm alone in my home, and I go, chauffeur. I call him chauffeur because he's very professional, because right. he's me, and I'm very professional. And then you go in the other room, and you change really quick. I change really quick, and I run in, and I say, yes. I say, uh, should he have an accent? Yeah, you should. Guten Tag. Oh, Yes. oh yeah man my (laughs) plot twist my uh my chauffeur is jamaican born he's very charming but he does have a very thick and almost undecipherable (laughs) jamaican accent okay off topic really quick yeah that was already off topic Um, so. (laughs) so this weekend this last weekend yeah i saw my grandparents Okay. Uh, this is a whole nother story, but basically my grandpa tells me really outrageous, strange stories. Um, so I tend to try and avoid any topic of conversation mm-hmm. um, because he will find a very strange story that will accompany that's, that's an, nice, any though. thought. That's no. cool. No, 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 no. Oh, man, Wait. that's cool. Um, I never, also, I've never heard any stories about your grandparents. For reasons. Um, so this last weekend, he told me the story about when he was kids. When, when he was, he, when he he was, was kids, kids. <laughs> my grandfather was multiple children. <laughs> when he was a kid, um, him and his friend would go around and like lift up old dead logs and stuff and just grab these giant spiders. I forgot. That's so badass. They're called like wolf spiders or something. Oh my God. The, the really fucking massive ones. Aren't those really bad for you? Yeah. Like the poisonous ones. Yeah. Yeah. He would. He could be lying about this part, but who knows? He did claim to be multiple children. But he's also a veteran. So mm. so him and his friend catch all these like spiders mm-hmm. and they put them in a jar. Good. Right. And they're bored. So they decide to fill it up with water. To drown them. Oh, it's checking out so far. Yeah. That sounds about right. I yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's like giggling this entire time while yeah. he's telling me about how he's drowning these spiders. <laughs> and um, he can see them squirming around in there. Yeah, I bet, yeah. And trying to escape and they can't. But it's like a few days and they don't die and he's like annoyed with it. Why aren't they dying? I don't know. Do, do spiders have lungs? I don't know. I, I'm, I was concerned about that, but also concerned on my grandfather drowning spiders for fun. Okay. I, um, yeah. Well, finish your story, then I'll weigh in yeah, on this. Yeah. So a few days go by, and the spiders are not dead, so he decides to let them out and then just stomp on them. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, they're going to die one way or another. Uh, He's a, like, your, your grandfather is not a just god. No. He's pretty cruel. Um, but I got to say, I think it's just a, a young boy thing because I used to kill bugs all the time for fun. Yeah. Okay. Killing bugs is yeah. one thing, but torturing them for days at a time and then killing them is also a whole nother matter. And having pleasure from watching them squirm around while drowning, I feel like is yeah. really kind of okay. sadistic and weird. You have to think of it from this perspective. He probably doesn't like spiders. Who does like spiders? If you like spiders, that's okay, but only kind of okay. You know what I mean? To anyone out yeah. there who like owns a pet tarantula, yeah. you're scary. I want you to know you're well, scary, but it, yeah. it's okay, I guess. It's like I was telling him I want to move to Australia. 
And he got all excited. He's because, like, I want to kill those Because there's like big spiders and big snakes and stuff. Yeah. Oh, he's he, weird. Yeah, he's like, ooh, yeah, they got big spiders there. You know, he's I used, getting all I excited because he wants to kill yeah, them. Yeah, and he's like, oh, well, I'd get those spiders. <laughs> it's like, he may or may not be losing his mind. <laughs> yeah, some, something's going on. First of all, thank you for your service. Second of all, uh, oh, do you what hear, the fuck? Do you want to hear a war story of his? Yeah, what, what war was he in? Uh, one of them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, Multiple. <laughs> I'm assuming yeah, one one of them. Who knows? Okay. I have right. no idea. Um, How old is he? Do you know? An age. Oh my goodness! Like he's a man of mystery. So seventy, far. maybe. I have no idea. You should that, really like, my, know this. Here's the thing: I don't really know my grandparents that well either side. So yeah, he was in a war, and he is an age. <laughs> he is old. <laughs> he sounds, he's yeah. like at at least seventy, I would say. Okay. Around there. So probably Vietnam or maybe Korea. Yeah, some, he might. He probably wasn't in Korea. That's he'd be older than. Yeah, but he told me the story once. Um, keep in mind, my grandfather is basically a superhero, according to him. Okay, he was like fighting these guys, and there were like five on one. You know, he's the one. Yeah, he kicks all of their asses. Okay, right. Does that mean he murders them? Because this is no, war. No, he like punches them like they they don't have any guns or anything they're just what like all, 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 all fisticuffs <laughs> okay <laughs> he runs into these guys and it's all fisticuffs and he knocks them all out and then he gets the last two right he knocks out three and he has two left yeah or whatever and he there's like this big pole like telephone pole or lamp pole or something okay and he takes their two heads you know he has his hand on the back of their head Mm-hmm. And he has it for and both of them. And they're just letting him do that. Yeah, they're 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 so beaten up at this point they can't train soldiers. Yes, and so he smacks their head against the lamp pole one at a time. So like bong 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 bong. He's yeah. just like, that's great, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like your grandfather was not in a war, but rather a silent film, <laughs> like an old comedy. <laughs> Like, I think these are all delusions he had. Yeah, I I, 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 I'm almost positive that's like a Three Stooges sketch. (laughs) Right, that does not sound like a thing that happens to people. Like, Um, I don't know. Like, when was the last time a war really included hand-to-hand combat, where it's like, let's punch each other? Let's just all punch without guns or knives. I don't know. Maybe they showed up at a bar and they're like, "You're on the other side." And then they bang, you bang head against lamp poles. Yeah. It's always a bummer in war when like you go to a bar while you're in war and there's and there's ed- bad guys from the war at the bar. You're like, God damn it. I just wanted to you're go to Korean? this bar. Right. I'm yeah. American. We are fighting. We're fighting now. God, I came here to get away from the war. Right. And it turns out the bad guys go to the same bar we do. God damn it. This is a long detour when I originally just wanted to bring up. Your grandfather. This story about George Clooney. Oh my uh, God! What? I want to know like how you were going to transition that if everything had gone well. <laughs> if everything had gone well, we didn't sidetrack. Um, I was going to tell you about George Clooney. In 2013, he surprised 14 of his friends with one million dollars each. Oh, they were friends who helped him before he became famous, and some of them were living paycheck to paycheck at the time. And he also paid for the taxes. And That's then, awesome, right? So they actually got like a. Definitely a million. Right, right. Like he paid the taxes for it too. So they just got That's pretty cool. a ton of money. I got to say though, George Clooney could have afforded to give them more than a million. Right. But also who has 14 friends? That's an outrageous <laughs> amount of friends. <laughs> who has a- That is friends? a lot of friends. <laughs> I think he's just bragging. I had 14. Can you imagine yeah. being like the kind of good friend, yeah. you know, but didn't get the million dollars? And it's like, oh, thanks, George. Uh, we were actually friends, George. I guess he also had a condition- that they all had to take the money or nobody would get it. So that way, like, they didn't feel guilty, like, taking money because right. then they were taking it so somebody else could get it, too, kind okay. of thing. Okay, okay. You know? I was yeah. like, oh, George. 
That's pretty cool. That's that's yeah. That's, that's really a, cool. That's a top notch guy. Yeah, I would like to do something like that if I ever get rich. No, but you're gonna pay your chauffeur. That's you. Yeah, well, staff. <laughs> the, the help comes first. Yeah, I would. I don't know if I came into that much money, like lottery or anything really. Mm-hmm. I would put aside most of it, and then I would want to accumulate enough interest to where I could live off of it each year. I think if you honestly, honestly, if you just had ten million to your name, you could live off that. If you were just like careful with it for the rest of your life. Let's say you had 10 million mm-hmm. and you got, let's say, 2% interest over a year. Okay. I... If, if you stuck 10 million in a bank account, let's see. Say you get 1%, that's still $100,000. But if you invest it too, and that's like the T bills and stuff are like investments technically. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So let's get back to the adventures of me and my chauffeur. My chauffeur comes in. <laughs> I say, chauffeur, get in here. And then I leave the room, get dressed, and then get in there. And I say, yeah, man, what are we going to do today? Okay. I'm going to segue into something. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did have a viewer question that yeah, we, we have just kind of ignored for a week. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to answer it now since um, I feel the timing is ripe yeah. for this one. So we got a question from our beloved Kent, our number one fan of this mm-hmm. podcast. I got to say, um, yeah. Kent, I love you very much. Thank you, Kent. But he sent us a question. If you're having sex and there's a ghost in the room, does that make it a threesome? Mm-hmm. And what is what are your thoughts here on this, Jeremy? Uh, I think, okay. As we both know, there's there's two main schools of thought behind hauntings. Yes. We're talking about like an OG original yeah. ghost. I'm, I'm agreeing before I know these two. <laughs> <laughs> so there's um, uh, residual residual haunting. Okay. Yeah. And then there's... Um, like an active? Let's call it active. I can't remember the actual yeah. term. Residual is a lady died in the house and she always used to walk around in the halls. So now uh, people say right. they see her walking around in the halls. But like an active haunting is a woman died in the house and uh, she's waking you up at night yelling at you. Like that's something freaky uh, like that. Yeah. Where it's actually interacting with you. It's not just some, you know, screensaver. Right. Uh, I don't know why I chose screensaver, but yeah. <laughs> I think with residual, oh, see, it's tough because residual Are you residual talking about like amazing. residual lovemaking sessions? Yeah. Like okay, say, <laughs> say, if, say if you're making love yeah. in the same room, not the same bed because that's weird. You know, but if it is beds. the same bed, then it's like extra threesome. That's like a quadsome. <laughs> Here's my theory. If a ghost is participating in the lovemaking, then yes. If it's just in the room, then no. Whether it was consensual or not is another <sighs> matter. But yeah. here's the thing. Usually ghosts need to focus their energy to do stuff, right? The more powerful ghosts, the more shit they can do. Allegedly, can you, yes. can, can you imagine being a lesser ghost and you have to focus all of your energy just to stick your finger in someone's butt? Hold on. And that's what you Hold do. Hold <laughs> on. I say I, I'm focusing my energy. I don't have time for like a lot of foreplay. Oh, you know so what? It, it needs yeah. to be kind of an agreed upon thing where I go there, I do the business or mm. they do the business to me and then it's over. And then I go back to wailing at night. You know, <laughs> I, I wail really hard that one night and then I go back to do it. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the fact that, that ghosts Ooh. wail. That wailing... Is very weak. I don't know why. Like, <laughs> that's the kind of crying you do in your car. You don't let anybody see. God, I would be so embarrassed if my ghost is known for like the ugly cry I do. Speaking of love making with ghosts, right? Oh, that's that's uh, a good transition. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about all of the loves that we will ghost on Tinder. Would you mind if I spread Nutella on her butt and ate it? Oh, God, this one is um, 
Okay. Um, so I have Brad. He is in his 30s. This is Brad's bio. Felon. Married twice. Five kids. Multiple BMs. Bowel movements? Oh, baby mamas. I just got uh. that. <laughs> Drinking problem. Prone to violence. Does not like other people's children. Can't leave the state for three more years. Don't ask. Can never leave the country. Definitely don't ask. <laughs> Six what? foot. Enjoys movies and long walks on the beach. Kittens. Okay, I think, <laughs> I, I, aside from the, like, those last two lines, I think that was written by his parole officer. Because those all yeah. sounded like stipulations. Mm -hmm. I think it's noble to be that forward. I think so, too. At the same time, though, what's your main goal here? Five kids. Multiple Five kids, baby mamas. Multiple married mamas. twice. Felon. And he's very low 30s. Brad, what the fuck did you do in your 20s? He was committing felonies Damn. and he was making love. <laughs> When he says multiple baby mamas, does do you think he means, well, he can't mean over five because he only has five children. Yeah. Minimum two. Well, there has to be at least two. At most five. Wow. Enjoys movies and long walks on the beach. That's so bold and confident. What, what gets me, though, <laughs> is the fact that he says, you know, I have five kids. And then he says, I don't like other people's kids. Right. It's like you only have other people's kids. What are you talking about? Right. He's been through two divorces. Yeah. Not just two marriages. That's two divorces as well. Maybe he's still married. Married twice. Oh, oh, it didn't say oh. divorce. I didn't twice. think about that. I did not think about yeah. that. I really want to learn more about this guy. I don't. <laughs> Brad, you can stay away. This is Jeanette. Let's call her Jeanette. She is mid twenties. Mm -hmm. uh, she's very. I don't even know what you would call that. Well, I'll let her do the talk. <laughs> I like hockey and hockey players. Ooh. I dislike birds and mornings. Yeah, she sounds awful. How do you dislike birds and mornings? Well, I, they kind of go together. It's like sunshine and happiness. Mornings must be extra terrible because the birds are tripping. Morning's like the best time of day. I mean, like if you're not a morning person. Think summertime weekends. When you first wake up and it's bright outside and you hear the birds chirping and stuff. Fuck yeah. Um, summertime best weekends, time. I'm waking up at 1245. Birds aren't chirping. The birds have already died. <laughs> birds are like flies, right? No. They're like it's like 24 hours. <laughs> they kind of plant eggs and they die. No. No. Well, anyways, that's Jeanette. Uh, we're probably way behind on time, so I think we should just jump into our, our main segment, which is on the Warrens. If that name doesn't ring a bell for you, Lorraine and Ed Warren were very famous paranormal investigators. They have inspired a lot of different movies like Annabelle and Amityville Horror based on their cases that they have investigated. Yeah, and most recently they've been portrayed in the Conjuring series, which is pretty good. So Jeremy, you actually suggested this because uh, Lorraine Warren has just passed away. A very long storied life, and we're going to talk about some of it uh, this week. So let's get to it. Sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? I'm not going to go before the public and start talking about a werewolf. The devil is in me. When the devil is in me, I am strong. I'm going to kill you. Give us a sign that you want to communicate with us. We prefer to be known simply as Ed and Lorraine Warren. Unbelievable, fantastic, but I tell you it could happen. Antigonish, a poem by Hugh Mearns. 
Yesterday, upon the stair, I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. I wish, I wish he'd go away. When I came home last night at three, the man was waiting there for me. But when I looked around the hall, I, I couldn't see him there at all. Go away. Go away. Don't you come back anymore. Go away. Go away. And please don't slam the door. Last night I saw, upon the stair, a little man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. Oh, how I wish he'd go away. background, um, Edward Warren uh, was a World War II Navy veteran and a former police officer. Uh, he would later become a self-taught demonologist, author, and lecturer, because that goes great together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Lorraine was a psychic and clairvoyant, and she was also a light trance medium who worked closely with her husband. So together, they founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, or NESPER, this group got together a bunch of like-minded people in a lot of different professions. Mm -hmm. uh, so doctors, researchers, police officers, nurses, and even like college students were all members of this group. And they would help in these different investigations when Ed or Lorraine needed help. They also trained several demonologists because they were also demonologists themselves. I, from what I gathered, Ed was the like... The root demonologist guy. The root, yeah. yeah. He was the main demonologist, but Lorraine was the one with the... The psychic the, powers. The powers. Like she was a clear clairvoyant and just background for those of you who don't know what clairvoyant is yeah the word is french for one who sees clearly mm -hmm. which is kind of confusing because it's not really that at all but yeah so um clairvoyance is the alleged ability to gain info about an object person location or physical event through extrasensory perception also known as esp you might mm -hmm. have heard that somewhere uh, which is reception of info gained or sensed in the mind. So essentially, she could look at you or touch your arm or she could pick up a globe. Let's say a globe. Yeah. And she could feel the history of that globe. And she could say, oh, someone once held this globe when they were very upset. Or someone once really liked this globe. I don't know why right, the fuck yeah. I picked globe. But like, <laughs> so, so many cool objects. A globe. Right. Uh, a snow globe, of course. So yeah, so she could do that. Yeah. She only worked with globes. So she, yeah, she was the more psychic area where Edwa, I guess, was the brains. Together, they authored a bunch of books about the paranormal yeah, and, about lot, the, yeah. Yeah, and about their private investigations, uh, which they documented through their encounters. Uh, they claim to have investigated over 10,000 cases during their career. Other sources say it's in the hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they did make that claim, so I'm telling you about it. I would also like to throw in that they also ran an occult museum in the back of their house uh, that they had in Connecticut for quite a while i think it might still be up and going it probably is i think because i know right now um nesper uh was ran mainly by the warrens but as they got older mm -hmm. uh their son-in-law started to run it did mm -hmm. you read anything about him no not he's their son-in-law he's a trip so nesper is currently managed by ed and lorraine's son-in-law tony sparrow what i find interesting is nesper may have inadvertently spawned what's called ness the new england skeptical society oh. which to me is like this is the funniest <laughs> thing so uh, Ness is a nonprofit educational organization founded in 1996 to promote science and reason. Uh, its current president is Dr. Stephen Novella, who's an academic neurologist at Yale. He founded it with his friend Perry DeAngelis. 
uh, Ness has a president, a vice president, an executive director, a director of marketing, and a web manager. Uh, but like <laughs> in comparison, Nesper has t- has Tony. <laughs> it's like just Tony Spera running a Facebook page. <laughs> Um, so Perry and Steve actually investigated the Warrens, where they, uh, you know, interviewed them, and they went to their museum of uh, demonic objects. We had the occult. Yes, the occult. They found that Ed and Lorraine Warren were very nice people, but they found that their methodology and evidence were ultimately unconvincing. They felt that the Warrens believed totally what they were claiming, but it was mainly influenced by bias because they mm-hmm. they were so into their faith. They couldn't see their own bias. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Because they were very devout Roman Catholics. Uh, They ruled altogether that the Warrens were, quote, at the best, tellers of meaningless ghost stories, and at worst, dangerous frauds, which I feel like gives a a pretty stable view on what all skeptic minds kind of view the Warrens as. Yeah. So you probably have heard of the Warrens through some of their popular movies, mainly so The Conjuring. I'm just going to briefly explain the plots of these movies. So light spoiler alerts, um, I'm not going to spoil the whole movie, but just kind of give you an idea of the cases that they worked on, cases that later turned into movie adaptations. Now, do you know how how close the movies were to the, the actual events? Because I didn't look into much of their specific um, cases. Well, their actual events <laughs> were probably not very accurate <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right. to begin with. So I'm yeah. sure it was like a very minor thing that they dramatized, traumatized to make money and then okay. they further traumatized dramatized in the movie and traumatized audiences (laughs) um so the conjuring which is arguably maybe the most famous where the warrens are involved uh it revolves around a family who moves to rhode island in 1970 to escape city life the home however has seen generations of suicides and murders and that's kind of like the premise Initially of the movie. That's right. That was a good movie. Did you it see was. the first one? I know. Yeah. We saw the second one together in theaters. Yeah, we did. Yeah. The um, was second okay. one wasn't good. The <laughs> first one I actually thought was, was good. It was really good, I think. Yeah. So at first, the spirits there are, were friendly and helpful. Uh, they would help with chores and play with the children. However, as it got on, eventually the evil spirits made their presence known. Uh, and they would do this by banging doors, levitating furniture, and eventually assaulting the family as well, as evil spirits do. Mm-hmm. The worst spirit... What <laughs> I'm gonna pronounce this horribly. Bathsheba Sherman. Uh, she was a witch and Satanist. Mm. Uh, and the story goes that she hung herself on a tree in the 19th century. She warned the mother by sitting on her bed and yelling at her, "Get out! Get out! I'll drive you out with death and gloom." Okay. So that's just very witchy. The hauntings worsened, especially with Bathsheba, uh, until <laughs> the family were forced to leave and just completely abandoned it. And they weren't able like in the movie i'm pretty sure they had like priests come in and cleanse the house but that never actually happened they just had to completely abandon it i think they did end up like foreclosing or selling okay uh, because the family that entered the house afterwards Mm -hmm. also reported really strange events and they eventually ended up leaving too oh so the house was eventually sold so they had to put on the market yeah Yeah, somebody else ended up getting the house that's weird because in the movie they really make it seem like the warrens made everything okay yeah (laughs) the warrens just like basically show up document it and they're like all right i'm gonna go make this a book see you (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you bye (laughs) right i'll get you in touch with a priest maybe okay that's interesting uh so another really big one was the amityville horror yeah in 1974 ronald defeo jr shot and killed six members of his family, including his parents and siblings. Uh, George and Kathy Lutz and their three children moved into the house. After 28 days, they left the house claiming to have been terrorized by ghosts. 
So essentially this man was like driven mad, killed his entire family. The people that came in afterwards were terrorized by his spirits in various ways. Yeah, it's a pretty... It's a pretty uh, prolific... Um, it's really dark. The story itself is definitely worth checking into. Yeah. Um, another big one is The Haunting in Connecticut. Keep in mind that all of these are in Connecticut where they live. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I guess either Connecticut's a very haunted place or there might be some <laughs> well, storytelling. We, okay, well, let's, let's yeah. look at it from the um, from a believer standpoint first. Yeah. Connecticut and New England in general, and also there's the, the Conjuring was in Rhode Island. Um, in terms of European settlers, mm-hmm. New England is like really the oldest place in, in America as far as America goes. Right. So that's that's, that's where our ghosts come from, like our oldest ghosts. I guess, yeah. So you could look at it from that perspective. And also, you know, they lived in Connecticut. So, of course, you know. Right. Maybe what they, else they are they going to do? Yeah. Well, you're going to go to Texas? No, they don't. See how <laughs> pale they were? No way. Ed's <laughs> right. coloring was horrendous. <laughs> he really looks sick, though. Um, <laughs> a haunting in Connecticut. Is about a family in 1986 who moved into a house in Connecticut uh, to be what? closer to a hospital that was treating their sick son. Uh, the house used to be a funeral home with the mortuary still in the basement and a graveyard outside. Oh my God, why would you buy that? <laughs> exactly. Serves them right. So eventually they started having uh, different occurrences. I think it was like a month later. Uh, the water would turn red, lights would flicker. Dishes would move on their own, and the ghosts would make some appearances, you know, really spooking some people out, you know? Here's where it goes, though. You go from ghosts making appearances to a child being spun around by invisible forces and finding toe tags. Toe tags? Yeah, like from dead bodies. Where'd they find them? Uh, well, it was a mortuary. It was a mortuary at one so point. So they probably it found a, them in the it mortuary. Was a funeral home. You're telling me they found toe tags off of corpses in a house that used to house a lot of corpses? Yes. This is spooky. spooky. This is out of left okay. field. I feel like you're completely grazing over the kid being spun around by invisible forces. Okay, that sounds fun. I don't understand. <laughs> I'm just imagining the ghost in an making, an a, making an appearance and he's just like spinning the boy in a dance. <laughs> <laughs> Gives him a rose out of his mouth. <laughs> it's romantic. <laughs> Mom and dad just don't understand. They're calling the right. exorcist people. The last one I'll talk about before I jump into a really in-depth case Annabelle. The case dates back to 1970, so fairly recent, and it was about a spirit that inhabited a Raggedy Ann doll. It was purchased from an antique store by a woman to give to her daughter. Supposedly, the daughter didn't really care about the doll and, like, immediately, like, threw it on her bed and forgot about it. Uh, So the haunting started... Shortly after that, the doll supposedly was upset and would change positions on its own. So I guess like a fuck you for not playing with me. I'm going to play with myself and move around. uh, That's what I do. (laughs) I always play with myself and move around. But it actually, I don't know why I'm saying actually. Of course it did. It escalated. (laughs) Believe it or not, uh, there's some demonic stuff happening. I'm I'm in like presentation mode. (laughs) Um, Actually, uh, you would be impressed by my results. It escalated to the doll leaving notes around the house with messages saying, help me and help Lou. Who's Lou? One of them. One of who? (laughs) One of the ghosts. Okay. Um, One night they came home to find the doll covered in blood. After that, they were very concerned. And they're like, we're going to call the Warrens to come investigate this weird ass doll. Yeah. Uh, So they do. They found that inhabiting the doll was a seven-year-old girl who was murdered and left in a field to rot. She felt comfortable in the house and wanted to be loved and be a part of the family. Naturally, the mom and the daughter were like, yeah, of course, you know, you're a little girl uh, spirit. I want to help. people. Right, so they do. 
Uh, the mother and daughter agreed to let her be a part of the little family. Uh, however, surprise, Annabelle was really a demon the whole time. Oh, man. And I'm going to leave it on a cliffhanger, so you got to go watch the movie. Ed Warren fucks the doll. Ed Warren fucks the seven-year-old spirit doll. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> so I'm going to jump into just straight nose dive, full depth, all detail. Smash your face in the pavement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of uh, One of their also more popular cases, I don't believe this was made into a movie that I am aware of. Uh, it's called The Devil in Connecticut. I heard that this case is going to be the plot for The Conjuring 3. Oh, really? It was just recently announced. Oh, ah, okay. I'm going to ruin it all for you before you watch it. Uh, so the story revolves around the trial of Arne Cheyenne Johnson. Is that a man or a woman? It's a man. Okay. I know. I was confused as well. Uh, also known as the Devil Made Me Do It case. Okay. Uh, it was the first known court case in the United States that the defense sought to prove innocence based on the defendant's claim of demonic possession and denial of personal responsibility for the crime. So it was the very first trial in which case someone claimed demonic possession made them murder somebody, essentially. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... I'm surprised it's the first. Uh, yeah. I think and, someone would have thought of that before. Oh, right. But, oh, it was the devil man. Right, but it. yeah, they were the first ones. Yeah. Uh, so essentially how we got to this point, the Glatzdale family arrived in a rental property they had gotten in Connecticut. Shortly afterwards, a lot of bizarre events occurred. As they do. The Warrens only show up if weird stuff happens. Right. Uh, so about a month after they arrived, uh, the youngest son, 11-year-old David, suddenly fell down forcibly. Uh, fell down forcibly. He was pushed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I fell down forcibly. <laughs> you mean he got pushed? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so uh, 11-year-old David was suddenly pushed onto a bed like he'd been shoved. Oh. <laughs> pushed like he'd been shoved. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I tripped like I've been fell. <laughs> I cannot explain this correctly. I wrote it really <laughs> odd. Uh, so You wrote it like you drew letters. 11-year-old <laughs> uh, David was shoved onto the bed. Uh, so David was like, what the, you know, hey. What the crud? What's going on here? I was just pushed. And everyone's like, whatever, you're 11. You're dumb. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so David told his mom, like, hey, I was, I was pushed by a man with, quote, burnt-looking skin, unquote, who'd pointed a finger at him and growled the word beware before throwing him onto the bed. Huh. So after this incident happened, about a month in, he started to wake up at all hours of the night, sobbing uncontrollably. What's the name of the family again? Glasdale. How many members Glass are there? I know there's a daughter, there's David, and there's another brother, at least. So there's two there boys might, and there, a girl. there might be more. I don't know. But they're the main focal points. Hypothetically, there's three kids. At least three. Maybe more, but they're not mentioned. How many kids do you have? At least three. <laughs> I like it. Mystery. <laughs> I just focus on the important bits. Yeah. I don't care about the useless I got children. You. I got you. So at this point, he begins waking up at all hours of the night, sobbing uncontrollably. Uh, he said he's being visited by a old man in the dark with soulless black eyes, animalistic features, sharp jagged teeth, pointed ears, and hooves. God, that's the devil. Yeah. Oh my God, wait. Is he going to make him do something? Don't spoil it. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to spoil it for you. Yeah. You've already spoiled it. We know it's a murder case. Um, so yeah, David's waking up sobbing because obviously he sees the fucking right. devil. Now, is this the same as the burnt man or different entities? Do you know? Um, I'm assuming different, but yeah, it doesn't specify. Uh, so he's getting them 
more and more frequently until he's getting them every night. And now all of a sudden he's getting them also in the daytime too. Oh God. Where he's being visited by this hooved Satan man. Seven daymares. So when they start happening in the daytime, the demon would take on the appearance of an old man with a white beard dressed in a flannel shirt and jeans. Kind of stylish. Yeah, kind of stylish, kind of lesbianish. I was going to say, dressed <laughs> like a lesbian. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, he said the entity when it appeared would snarl in foreign languages and threaten to steal his soul. As soon, these appearances came with footsteps, slamming doors, and disembodied voices. Okay. Um, so David then began getting scratches, cuts, and bruises on his body for apparently no reason. The night terrors worsened every night, and it escalated to the point where he was being choked by okay. this demon entity. Keep in mind, he's an 11-year-old kid, so he's probably like... He probably deserved it. He, he's probably like in fifth grade-ish if that puts it in perspective, um, within this point of time, and it's a very short amount of time, it's like a few months, uh, he puts on weight from all the stress and he gains 60 pounds Oh my. until he's like an obese child. Very obese. Very obese. For, for a 11-year-old? How old is he? Yeah, he's 11. So 60 pounds in an 11-year-old is, you should be uh, like, is like a, double like, your body weight. Right, yeah. The parents became very concerned because he was having all these nightly terrors well, it's about and, time. and like daytime Jesus. appearances of yeah. the devil and this lesbian in a flannel uh -huh. um, <laughs> yeah and the church at the mention of lgbtq was like fuck we can't help you <laughs> i'm so sorry uh so they recruited a priest to cleanse the house uh luckily it did absolutely nothing so okay. we get more of a juicy story oh man so then the church referred them to the warrens so that's where they make their timely presence actually the warrens caused the state of david to worsen <laughs> oh god if you can believe it yeah. um <laughs> uh. all of a sudden they show up and david starts having seizures and he will suddenly start quoting passages from the bible and speaking latin oh As you know you know for a fact ed warren's like stand back lorraine this is my I thing i got this i'm a demonologist well, i've actually, written books um, Lorraine claimed to have seen a black mist surrounding the child. I'll get into that a little bit later, but a big thing she sees uh, is auras around people. Yeah. She sees that more often than actual ghosts. She sees just energy. Yeah. And so black. That's bad. That's probably not good. Bad Black mist and hooves equals bad news. Ed Warren's like, oh my God, I can't wait to go to work today. Um. So around this time, when David's really bad, they got the Warrens and the priest. The older daughter, Deborah, begged her fiance, Arn. Cheyenne Johnson oh my to goodness. move in to make her feel safe. Being a nice, loving boyfriend, he complied, and he was around while David was getting multiple exorcisms. Three were performed with no less than four Catholic priests present. At each exorcism? At each exorcism. So it was like teamwork. It, it was right? like a big job. Wow. They needed at least four. So Arn moves in. I'm going to guess. He probably stood too close during the exorcism. He was in the splash zone. Mm. Jumped onto him. I'll get to it. Tell me. During these exorcisms, as one does when you're possessed, uh, he would growl, snarl, curse, spit, kick, and scratch like a madman. That was just Ed Warren. Yeah. <laughs> I love demons. Fuck, I love it. Oh, my God. Uh, he would also stop breathing for long periods of time, uh -oh. levitate, and contort his body into unnatural positions. And for a fat kid, like, imagine that. Yeah, exactly. Pretty impressive to even yeah. to even bend down and tie your shoes as, a like, a 180-pound right. kid. That's pretty insane. That's probably why he stopped breathing for long periods. Yeah, his heart he, gave out. He laid on his back too long. <laughs> he eventually began to talk of murder and stabbing. Okay. According to the Warrens, he supposedly had 43 demons possessing him. Wow. When asked to give the name, like asking the demons to give their name, he listed off 43. 
Ed Warren was like, by the way, we charge by the demon, so. But they nicknamed this the Beast or the Master. Okay. Also, all 43 names were one were one yeah, entity? Yeah, it was nicknamed the Beast. It was like the grouping of 43 demons, okay. all possessing this 11-year-old obese child. Yeah, like why him of all people? You know? yeah, he's the weakest, I guess, easiest to possess. Yeah. Usually that's the women, but I guess 11 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Fat kids are right below women in terms of <laughs> right. easily possessable. Uh, so the exorcisms had no effect on David, and Arne got really tired of all these exorcisms and this whole like scenario happening. Right. So he began shouting and yelling at David and the demons to get out of him, leave him alone. You know, I'll take care of you. Just like come enter me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And during one of these times, what an idiot! Why would you, that's so stupid? Yeah. Um, Such a man. Yeah. During one of these times, he became terrified uh, when he claimed to have seen the demons. And made eye contact with them within David. Like he looked David in the eyes and saw the demons staring back he at him. He was like, that's not David. Yeah. And um, the Warrens were like, yeah, we kind of told you not to do this. Yeah. Dumbo. Ed Warren's just freaking out. He's right. like, guys, th- I'm going to have to raise my rates. Right. And they're like, we told you not to do this. So that's on you, buddy. So not long afterwards, Arn crashed his car into a tree. While he was unharmed, he claimed the demons had taken control of him and caused him to crash. Was he drinking? doesn't say. I bet he was drinking. He might have been drinking. At this point, all the exorcisms hadn't worked. The Warrens are not really doing anything but, like, documenting this the whole time. This um, is what they do best, though. You, I mean, like, throughout all of those stories that I've, you know, skimmed through, yeah. it seems like their main thing is to be there to, like, just analyze and document. Right. Which is kind of, it's it's interesting, but also they tend to watch a lot of families fall apart. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of like. Um, it's, it's, it's strange. It's peculiar. Right. Um, so at this point, the family is like, we've tried everything, so we're going to give him to a psychiatrist. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that wasn't the free. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> they just, here is my child. <laughs> to a psychiatrist who said he was normal apart from a mild learning disability. They decided to enroll him in the school for disturbed children anyway, hoping it might cure him of whatever was wrong with him. They had no idea. Uh, Deborah, the daughter, and her fiancé, Arne, who yelled at demons, moved into an apartment together, and they became pretty close friends with the landlord, Alan Bono. In the coming weeks, Arne became irritated at really small things, and he would go into these trances where he would growl, snarl, or convulse, uh, which he would have no memory of upon waking up. During several of these episodes... He'd shout in despair that he could see the beast staring at him, but he would have no recollection of this after he came to afterwards. Hmm. Arn, Debbie, and Bono had a lunch party one day, and they were all drinking very heavily. They get into a heated argument. During this time, Arn goes into one of his trances where he begins growling like an animal, and he pulls a five-inch knife, Yeah. and he proceeded to viciously and repeatedly stab Bono. Bono ended up dying at the hospital from his wounds a few hours later. Arn was charged with first-degree murder. A day after the murder, Lorraine made the claim that he'd been possessed and that David said he'd seen the demons go from him into his body. She saw that? Lorraine, and she didn't say anything? She did a day later. A day too late? Yeah, and David was like, yeah, I saw I saw them leave me and go into him, I guess. Well, you know what, guys? You really should have said that earlier. Right. That really could have helped Bo- Boner, right, Boner from getting hurt. <laughs> um, when the trial actually came around, the church denied that any actual exorcisms were performed. The reason they said that was uh, because the bishop supposedly never approved of the exorcisms. Okay. And that would have been required for them to be actual exorcisms, but none was sought. 
The family claimed that approval was granted, making the case even more confusing. The judge, with the defense being possession, uh, was not convinced. <laughs> what? Really? What? <laughs> and said, uh, hey, buddy, uh, how about you try something else? Because I'm going to tell you right now, this shit ain't going to work. Right. You're going to have to come up with something else pronto. Aaron's like, I guess I'll just go for self-defense. Uh, and the jury was like, guilty. <laughs> uh, considering he was not attacking you and you just grabbed a knife and stabbed him. Yeah. So he was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison, but only ended up serving five. Because he was a good boy. But the story doesn't end there. What? Yeah. In 1983, the Warrens wrote the book, The Devil in Connecticut, uh, which many saw as a cheap attempt to make money off the family's distress, which yes. you'll kind of see in a lot of these stories. But the book was then re-released in 2006. David, who is now an adult, and his brother sued the publisher. They claimed that the book gave them emotional distress by talking about their, you know, at that age, trauma. Okay, yeah, so stirring that back up. And that it contained libel as well. Uh, So the Warrens, after, you know, the lawsuit, stuck to the original version of their events. And Debbie and Arne actually stuck with it, too. They stuck with the Warren's version. Okay. I'm assuming to make him look better and that he didn't just randomly stab yeah. a guy. Um, yeah, probably. That's what I'm going to go for. Uh, the priests, unfortunately, stayed silent and have not contributed any information to either side. Okay. And yeah. that's that's kind of where um, we leave off on the story of a devil in Connecticut. I think that story is a really good example of the ambiguity of the Warrens, you know? Mm-hmm. Were they doing what they did for good? Did they believe in what they were doing? And is there any validity to anything they say? Yeah. Because I 100% believe that they believe what they're saying. Right. I don't think they're intentionally acting fraudulent. Right. I think they really do believe, which is which is so odd. Now, there's something about Lorraine that I do sort of believe. Yeah. She speaks with such conviction. And, and there's something about Ed, for example, that I, I think it's felt like slimy. It felt kind of slimy for sure. Yeah kind of like a showman mm-hmm. and someone who maybe i don't want to speak ill of the dead but i've already uh spoken ill of many deads <laughs> um so i'll just say it there's something about ed that felt like he may have been taking advantage of lorraine a little bit yeah you know because maybe she was clairvoyant and psychic and he just kind of like he was like oh, well, oh yeah. you see oh you know yeah, we, we can could, really use we this we could really write a book about this and stuff right because he would just pump out he was the one writing the books he would just yeah. pump them out like crazy now i don't know how how anecdotal this is. I only found this on a, on a few different um, sites, but I guess after returning for World War II, Ed took up painting. Lorraine later joined him in that hobby. And in the early days, the Warrens would paint artwork of the haunted homes they had an interest in investigating, and they would gift that painting to the homeowners and be like, hey, here's a painting. Can we <laughs> investigate your house for ghosts? And they'd be like, yeah, sure, it's a nice painting. Thank you. Huh. You can look online and there's a bunch of old landscape portraits, you know, of, of homes that mm-hmm. Ed Warren painted. And they're, they're they're pretty okay looking. Okay. Um, and that was all pre-Nesper. That was before they, they what made What doesn't everything. he do? I know. He's one of those guys, though, where it's like he's trying to make money wherever he can. Mm-hmm. So I want to tell you mm-hmm. uh, a little bit about specifically Lorraine because she is the one that just passed away. Because mm-hmm. she was born on January 31st, 1927, and she died just recently, April 18th. 2019, she was 92 years young. 
As a child, Lorraine attended Laurelton Hall. It was an all-girl Catholic school. When she was nine, she noticed she could see lights around people's heads, always around the head. Mm -hmm. And that's like what nowadays people call auras. Mm -hmm. And she um, actually got in trouble one time because she told this, uh, I think it was a French teacher, that her lights were brighter than uh, Mother Superior. And that got her in trouble with Mother Superior because you can't have lights brighter than the Mother Superior. Right. And so then that sort of made her scared to talk about it. And she started to suppress it and hide it. But she would always feel it. She said that she still would see it all the time. And what, like, good people, uh, the the lights are very soft pastel colors, like pinks and blues. Bad people had, like, blacks, Mm -hmm. cloudy, scary, sick-looking auras. Most living things had these lights. She said uh, she notices it especially with animals and even some trees. She said it got to the point where she felt sick if she ever saw a tree getting cut down. Hmm. She just became like a huge animal lover. And actually in the interview, it's kind of cute. She was talking about how she really wanted to go on safari and see like the jungle cats and stuff. Hmm. Because she's like, I would love to see what their colors look like, what their lights are. If you really listen to her describe it, it feels incredibly genuine. I wonder if she has that condition where you see lights with like emotions and stuff. Like Synesthesia? When, yeah. When the people like hear music, they see colors. Yes. Yeah. And things. I wonder I, if it's something like that. I wonder if it's like something that. similar to that. Yeah. I wonder. That'd be interesting. There's definitely some explanation to it. You know, I yeah. think it's maybe like a. Some variant of that. Yeah. Or like emotional attachment, I guess. Yeah. To objects and things. Right. Have like colors. She, whatever emotions they made her feel, mm-hmm. she would see as colors. So. She kept on suppressing her abilities. She just sort of focused on family, church, and her studies. Mm-hmm. She didn't really think about boys at all mm-hmm. until she met Ed. Ooh. And I got to say, I, whatever. Honka, I, honka. Honka, mm-hmm. chunka. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a chunk. Um, I don't talk highly of Ed, but I do think their little story, if you choose to view it through a lens of Lorraine's telling the truth, is mm-hmm. like really an endearing story. So mm-hmm. Lorraine is a very, you know, to herself kind of girl. Mm -hmm. And then her friends, some girls from her school say, hey, let's go to this theater. So Lorraine's schoolmates and her friends took her to the Colonial Theater in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And this is where Ed worked. And they took her there with the intent of introducing her to Ed. And he was the usher at the theater. So he helped them to their seats. But during the show, there was an air raid. This was around the time that World War II was ramping up. Mm-hmm. Connecticut manufactured 80% of the Allied front ball bearings, which were these components that were used in everything from guns to planes. And Bridgeport, where the theater was, was really significant in producing troop supplies. So it would make sense for them to practice air raids around that area. Mm-hmm. To them, the air raids had been going on for a little bit. And so they weren't that worried about it. So Ed says, hey... Let's go to the soda fountain and I'll buy everybody a Coke. Um, So then they sort of walked home from the soda fountain and they eventually came upon Ed's house. Ed said goodbye and he uh, headed up the front steps to his house and he said, you know, it was was nice to nice to meet you, Lorraine. Mm -hmm. And he walked away and Lorraine said, and this was in an interview in 2012, after he went up the steps, she said, quote, and I didn't see that young, athletic, 142 pound boy. I see my husband as he looked just before he passed. Mm. And I wrote in my diary, I'll spend the rest of my life with him. Aww. Ed would enlist and enter the Navy on his 17th birthday. He was on a a ship that crossed the Atlantic Ocean several times. It was really dangerous territory because that's where um, a lot of German subs were. Ed was one of the 65 men who survived this uh, really bad incident where two ships sank in the North Atlantic. But while on this thing called survivor's leave, Ed returned to Bridgeport and he married Lorraine. They had two days. And uh, Ed talked to a parish and the priest said, I'm going to try to get you some extra days with your wife. And in that time, Lorraine got pregnant. Damn. 
Damn, they must have been like really getting at it. I think he's got a demon in him. (laughs) Rest in peace. So that's their story. That's a nice one. It's kind of a cute one, right? It is cute. They should make a story about it. Conjuring 3. (laughs) Conjuring 3. The love story. (laughs) I covered uh, the Warren case known as the werewolf of South End. That sounds like a Goosebumps. It pretty much is a Goosebumps (laughs) story, I would argue. So let's do the who, what, where, when, why, how. Werewolf in the swamp. Is that what one's called? Swamp werewolf? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, probably. There's like 87 Goosebumps books. Frankenstein ate my homework. Oh, R.L. Stein, you've done it again. Right. This story concerns, um, it takes place in England. It concerns a man by the name of William Ramsey, but we'll call him Bill. And he lived in a place called South End on Sea. Hmm. Uh, it's also just called South End. It's a, a bizarre story considered to be one of the most perplexing cases of demonic possession in modern times. Now, this is very similar to your case, mm-hmm. in all honesty. Uh, but this is a lot more werewolfy. Ah. Listening to your story, I was thinking, this doesn't have enough werewolf in it. And this, here you are. This has so much werewolf in it. I'm right. confused on how. Oh, you're going to find out how. So, the first incident of Bill being a werewolf. So, when Bill was a young boy, about nine years old, he was playing in his backyard when he felt a cold spell wash over him and he smelled a foul stench. Like rotting meat, not poop. Because my first thought was the kid shit his pants. Right. <laughs> He's just like, oh, I'm a werewolf. On top of the, uh, the the coldness and the smell, he also started to shiver and get sweaty. Mm. Got some cold sweats going on. If you're saying, like, that's kind of a weird thing to even consider relevant. Here's Bill on the topic. Quote, I was playing and my body temperature was normal. Then, well, I'd say it felt as if my body temperature dropped a good 20 degrees. Sweat froze on me, and my whole body started shaking, and there was this odor, very foul. Uh, You're probably thinking, Jeremy, that's exactly what you just said before. Mm -hmm. Well, this time, Bill said it. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, this sensation shortly passed, but Bill felt an unnerving change. He became hyper-aware of his environment. Keep in mind, this is a nine-year-old boy. And he got very anxious and tense. Right, and And all of a sudden, he looked at his hands, but instead of hands, they were paws. And then R.L. Stein stepped in and said, I'll finish the story. Thank you very much. Right. So, Bill began to uh, get these mental images of wolves. Again, this is uh, South End by Sea. Mm-hmm. It's right by the shore. All he can think of is these wolves and then like running to the sea on all fours. It's like his, this urge he gets. Before he can run on all fours to the sea like a deranged boy, he is overcome with an intense rage. And he starts howling and growling. Hmm. And uh, Bill's parents uh, respond to the growl by rushing outside and they're like, Bill, what's the matter? And Bill is going berserk. Bill is nine. Remember that now. Yeah. Bill runs to these these uh, the, the fence in the yard. He rips out the fence post from the ground. By the way, the fence is held in by concrete and oh. rebar. He lifts it from the ground and starts swinging it around his head. And his dad's saying, son, put, put the fence down. Bill doesn't stop swinging it around. The dad runs inside. The parents lock the door and they just wait. Uh, they, they watch through a window and they see that Bill is also tearing through the wire mesh on the fence viciously chewing on it where his his mouth is bleeding eventually the rage the rage fades away and little bill kind of saunters inside and and the family in true british fashion they're like oh let's ignore this (laughs) yeah they just eat dinner and they never talk about it bill's mom would later state that bill was never quite the same after that Um, however bill went on to have a fairly normal childhood and no severe outburst for a long time now it does come back Uh, bill grew up got married 
had kids, and two years into his marriage to his wife, he um, started to suffer from these nightmares. And he'd always wake up all sweaty and growling. Mm -hmm. And uh, according to some sources, the nightmares followed a similar path. So he would be dreaming that he's walking down this road with his wife, behind his wife. And she would turn around, look at him, and just like scream bloody murder and run off. And this occurred uh, somewhere around 1967. And then the nightmare stopped and life carried on as it Hmm. does. 15 years fly by without any incidents. Then one night in 1983... Bill goes out to a pub with some friends. He drinks. Um, But during the night, he gets that familiar chill from when he was a boy. Mm. And he smells that smell and he gets kind of nauseous and he excuses himself to the bathroom. He kind of has like a breakdown in a bathroom stall. And when he goes out to, um, I assume, if this was a movie, he probably goes to the sink to splash some water in his face. And Mm -hmm. when he looks in the mirror, he sees like a wolf, essentially, like Mm -hmm. him, but in wolf form. And he freaks out. And uh, his friends are like, okay, don't worry. We'll drive you home. Everything's okay. On the drive home, uh, there's one of his friends sitting next to him, and Bill just lunges towards the friend's leg and starts biting it. And the friend freaks out. Everyone in the car freaks out. They pull over. It takes three of them to rip him off his friend. And uh, Bill just eventually calms down, and he's fine. Probably didn't talk to the friends much after that, I would imagine. Right. It's like, okay, this guy's actually psychotic. Every time this happens, he has very little memory of of what Mm -hmm. transpired. So let's go forward to, um, that was what, 83? So Christmas of 83. Just before Christmas, Bill uh, began to pour sweat, just Ugh. sweated incessantly and had really bad chest pains. So because of the chest pains, a family member drove him to the hospital. And um, he started to get the chill again once he got to the ER. Mm. And he's like, oh, shit, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen again. It's going to wolf up. Yep. Uh-oh, I'm going ghost. <laughs> so during a blood test, uh, Bill bit a nurse's arm very severely, apparently. Yeah. And then he began to run around the ER growling, and he would just throw people that tried to hold him back. Just throw other grown men across the ER room. Can you imagine how, like, chaotic that must have been? Because it's already an ER. Having to deal with some man growling. Yeah, like biting people. Yeah. And people uh, described him as uh, having just insanely wild eyes. I think we both know, like, eyewitness reports are always fucked. Yeah. But people said, like, he looked like he had claws. His teeth looked sharper than usual. Mm -hmm. He was snarling. And then an on-duty police officer managed to wrestle him into handcuffs and doctors sedated him. And they had to use enough sedatives for, like, multiple men because he was just insane. He's sedated, wakes up in a mental institution called Runwell Mental Hospital in nearby Chelmsford District in Essex. Mm -hmm. And when Bill came to, he had very little memory of what happened at the hospital. He declined further treatment at the psych ward and they just just released him. They're like, you know what? It's 1983. (laughs) Get out of here. So uh, weeks later, January 1984, the New Year's come and passed, uh, Bill was driving home after visiting his mother when he felt the typical werewolf symptoms come on. So he rushed himself to the hospital, happens to be the same hospital (laughs) he was at before. And he's like, hey, guys, uh, I'm about to go. Go wolf. I'm about to go wolf. When he got to the ER, he was already too far gone. And this nurse tried to calm him down and said, you got got to wait. You can't see a doctor yet. And so Bill uh, essentially choke slammed this nurse to the ground oh, no. and then another orderly came up and was like hey you better calm down and so uh he immediately attacks him and starts to strangle him several police officers arrived and surrounded him there was like a standoff for a while as it's described and finally one officer had the cojones to be like all right i'm just gonna go for him and try to apprehend him mm-hmm. and uh bill attacked and injured that police officer and apparently he injured him so badly that that police officer had to stay in that hospital for four days afterwards damn 
It took a remaining four officers to handcuff him and put him in a squad car. He was then taken to the mental hospital again. He had a short stay and eventually was released. So July 22nd, 1987, Bill picks up a prostitute. As one does. I don't know if he's still married at this point. Maybe it doesn't matter. I'm not sure what his moral status is, let alone his marital status. Driving around late at night, picks up a prostitute. Plot twist, it's a citizen's arrest. He goes, I'm going to take you to the police. I don't know why. He just He's has taking this... the prostitute to the police? Yeah. Picks her up and says, I'm going to take you to the police. So Bill starts to feel uneasy as he drives to the police station and he starts to growl. And the prostitute gets very nervous and Bill continues to growl. And so the sex worker just books her out of the car and runs towards the police station towards a police officer. So Bill gets out of the car and chases her. He's entering wolf mode once again. Mm-hmm. An officer that's outside shows up. Bill just randomly diverts his path from the prostitute towards the cop. And he attacks the officer. But this officer that he attacked was significantly larger than him. You know, over six feet tall, 196 pounds. So um, Bill picks off this six foot tall, 196 pound man by the throat and throws him what's described as a great distance, whatever that means, in the parking lot of the police station. Just chucks him across the parking lot. Across the parking lot? Yes. Like a parking lot? Not like a mall parking lot, but like, you know, a small little... More than five feet away from him. And this officer's name is um, Sergeant Sergeant, <laughs> Sergeant Terry Fisher. And in an interview I watched, Sergeant Fisher stated that Bill had, quote, large staring eyes and this maniacal expression. He then added, but the worst thing was what he was saying. And it was said in a very malevolent way. You're fat and ugly. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you were easy to throw. <laughs> it destroyed him. He stared at him with his wolf eyes and went, catch this. Bitch. And they threw him to another werewolf and they just played volleyball <laughs> with his body. It was so demeaning. Um, uh, Bill was saying, the devil is in me. When the devil is in me, I am strong. I am going to kill you. I am strong. You are going to die. Hmm. And it took five officers to subdue Bill, who was not under the influence of any drugs. Officers throw him in, in the cell. And the cell, this is really weird. It's like a steel door and one side is padded. Yeah. And there's this little window and I mean, it's probably the window's probably the size of your head. Bill bursts through this window on the door. <laughs> he not only does he burst his head through, he gets one of his arms through too. I looked at the door that like they showed that he burst out of. It's like almost physically impossible to do that. But yet they have multiple witnesses say that he did this. Every police officer in the station saw it. And then four firefighters that had to cut him out of the door. And uh, Bill gets admitted to the psych hospital again. He goes through with some psychological evaluation and... The issue is they couldn't find a source or cause of the behavior. There was nothing wrong with him psychologically. Mm-hmm. But news of the werewolf business started to circulate in the media. And by the way, they try to paint the press as like villains for airing Bill's dirty laundry. But Bill actually sold his story for $20,000 to the oh, newspaper shit. with inflation. That's like $40,000. Hell so yeah. That, that's Hell a would. lot. Like I would do the same thing. Yeah. For sure. But anyways, the media is like, hey, everybody, check out this freak show. Mm-hmm. And then the Warrens show up. Lorraine was certain that Bill was possessed demonically. And the Warrens ended up tracking down Bill in England and convinced him to fly to the U.S. to take part in an exorcism. There's this um, this old show called Sightings. Okay. Showcasing certain real-life occurrences that were kind of either paranormal or just kind of fringe. Mm-hmm. And they did an episode on him. So here's a clip from the show of uh, Bill talking about when he was approached by the Warrens. And I think this is beautiful. Warrens told me that uh, it wasn't a mental illness. I had no mental illness. Um, I was possessed, demonically possessed with a wolf spirit. 
Oh, oh God. Oh, I've heard it all. And he, he clo kind of closed the evening with, um, would you come to the USA and be exercised? Exercise? Come on. Some absolute rubbish they were giving me here. But maybe. I've been through all the other avenues, remember? So the exorcism takes place on July 28th, 1989, Bill makes a travel out to Connecticut to undergo an exorcism with the Warrens present, as well as um, a trusted bishop, Bishop Robert McKenna, hmm. which I think is a close friend of the Warrens. Uh, he performs the exorcism. It occurs at a, a chapel called Our Lady of the Rosary. There were six bodyguards with stun guns on standby <laughs> to protect the bishop while he Shit. did this. And uh, Lorraine claims that Bill's neck muscles swelled and his ears began to point. And Bill was restrained to a chair. The Warrens captured photos detailing the ordeal. I got to say, the photos are disturbing. After all of this, Bill left the exorcism feeling, in his own words, renewed, like a new man. Hmm. And he never had another wolf episode since. Damn. So. I guess he was possessed. In conclusion. In conclusion, he was possessed. The exorcism obviously did help Bill. So I think. If it helped him. Exactly. Cool. I think as long as it doesn't like objectively harm, harm anyone. Then I think it's a okay in my book, you know. Anyway, so this is uh, this is our little tribute to Lorraine Warren. <laughs> we bashed your husband the whole time, but I hope I, you I'm appreciated sorry. it. <laughs> yeah, at the very least, they help some people. Yeah, that's, that's we got what, some I mean, nice movies out of it. Um, that's my good vibration for the week. Yeah, and my good vibration, um, good vibrations, <laughs> birthdays. Cake, birthday cake. Oh, yeah, oh my birthday God. cake for birthday, sure. That was know, a good birthday cake. If, you guys, if any of you are feeling down, you can go to any market and buy a cheap cake. Like, cake is cheap. It is cheap. That's what you don't realize when you're a kid, when you can't don't have a car or any means to purchase any goods. Yeah, cake is super cheap. Cake is so cheap. That's incredible. Hell yeah. So if you're feeling down, go buy yourself a cake and have yeah. a good time. And if and... you're feeling happy, still buy yourself a cake. Yeah. Why not? Treat yeah. yourself. Treat it's yourself. Three bucks. Once in a while. Four bucks with taxes. There you go. Yeah. Or just steal it. Or just steal it. It's three <laughs> bucks. They're not yeah. going to hurt. Yeah. They're you think gonna... that giant mega corporate company known as whatever Walmart is going to feel the loss of one cake? No way. Maybe don't buy it from Walmart. Buy it from a Kroger at least. A Kroger or a Meyer or like a, what's a, like Whole if you're Foods in Florida, Winn-Dixie or Publix. Yeah. One of your local... Yeah. Mega You're Marcus. from Florida originally, aren't you? Yeah. It's cool. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I also lived in Texas. What? Yeah. When? When I was a child. Did you ever ride, drive, ride a horse? Drive a horse? Yeah. Okay. Do you, were you yeah, it Yeah, it almost kicked me in the head. I, I would have sworn it did kick you in the head. All right. Well, if you guys would like to send us a viewer question like Kent, or if you have any topics you would like us to discuss or any comments on the show, uh, feel free to email us at according to an idiot at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook and an Instagram, according to an idiot, or you can get a hold of us on Twitter at idiots accord. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes if you have the uh, time and energy and the capacity and the, the you capacity, dumbo you dummy write us a little thingy if you want to you don't have to and if you didn't like it then please don't let us know because we'll be upset yeah share with us with your friends we've been growing a little bit lately and it's yeah. exciting so me and kaylee both have uh our height has increased by five inches each uh, we don't know if the growth will continue we are slightly worried we haven't yeah. stopped growing yeah mine has been solely in the clit <laughs> <laughs> repulsive all right guys i gotta go my chauffeur's waiting see ya <laughs> Uh, have a good one. I love you guys.